Is everyone doing all right this morning? Okay. Uh, can I just say, I was hearing y'all really sing well this morning. I mean, I, sometimes I don't, I don't hear it all the uh, Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, you normally sound well, but you sounded extra good. <laughs> I'm just digging myself a hole, apparently. I, it, like, no, it, it, seriously, y'all were sounding really good this morning. Uh, you must be ready to, to really praise God this morning. That's awesome. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I want to share with you one thing that doesn't look good on anyone, all right? And that is this, self-righteous, right? We avoid self-righteous people, don't we? We, 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 we hope we're not a self-righteous person, but we avoid that. And, and the reason why, and, and maybe you don't know why you avoid people like this, and the reason for that is because rarely are self-righteous people self-aware. Self-aware people, uh, there's just something about people who, who know who they are, they have an accurate understanding of who they are, their weaknesses, their strengths, their quirks, their uniqueness. They're comfortable in their own skin. And when you're around people that are comfortable in their own skin, don't you want to be around people like that? Don't you want to hire people like that? Don't you want your daughters to date people like that? Don't you want, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't you want, and, and you kind of around these people and you're like, I want to be like that. I mean, have you ever been around people that are like so comfortable in their own skin? You're like, I want to be like that. I want to be that self-aware person. But that's not the case when it comes to self-righteous. Yeah. In fact, self-righteous, I know we're talking about it in church, but it's not a religious thing. I don't know if you realize this, but you can be, you can be self-righteous about a lot of things. It's basically a human thing, right? Uh, your, it, what, what's happened when, when you cross the line of the self-righteous is when your rightness becomes so internalized, it becomes attached to your identity. That's when it becomes like you cross a line where you're not only right about something, you're like on a righteous crusade about something. Uh, it could be a thing, it could be a view, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, you know, in, in fact, a lot of people can be on a righteous crusade about a lot of things. Uh, some people are very uh, dead set about a certain way you work out, right? And even if you go to the gym... Even if you go to the gym and, you, and, you, and you're trying to do your best to work out, they're like, oh, you got to do it like this. You know, you got to do this certain workout. And people can really get fired up about that. People get really fired up about vitamin supplements. Have you, have, have you known, right, you know, vitamin, vitamin supplements or uh, uh, I, was gonna, I wasn't going to say this, but maybe oils. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm so sorry, 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 sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm already in trouble. No, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? In fact, they're probably right. But the problem, we've all met these people that they've crossed the line from being right about something to being righteous about something. And when you're not just right about something, but you're righteous about something, all of a sudden it's easy for you when you have a view to then dismiss or disrespectful. But if you ever get in a place where you believe your view is so right that you can dismiss and be disrespectful or look down on other people's view, you've crossed the line from being right about something to being self-righteous about something. And can I tell you, you may be right, but if you dismiss and disrespectful of others because of a certain view, then you are anything but righteous. And that's according to Jesus. Now, we've been in a series called Investigating Jesus, and, and I love it because it, we're, we're digging down into 
Jesus of, of how we know and why we follow. And we're trying to really decipher it. It's like, 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 who is this Jesus? As we try to discover and figure it out, because here's the thing, the, the reliability of Christianity hangs on the identity of one individual, Jesus of Nazareth. It all hangs, his identity, all of our faith hangs on his identity. And so if you are considering becoming a person of faith or becoming a Christian or you're considering to uh, reconsider, you know, maybe last time you were in church, you were like a little kid and they were giving you graham crackers, you know, and, you're, and you came to church and you're like, where's the graham crackers, you know. Uh, but you're an adult now and we don't hand out graham crackers. <laughs> That's a nursery, right? But, but you're coming back, maybe you're coming reconsidering or maybe for some of you, you're considering to unconsider the Christian faith. Before you make any decision, I want you to consider this simple, this simple question. Is, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John a reliable account of actual events? If just one of them are, is accurate, and if they're reliable accounts, if just one of them, if just one of them, but I believe all four are, if they're, if they're reliable accounts, then we need to, you know, really lean in. If what they say about Jesus is true, then we really need to pay attention. So that's why we've been in this book called The Gospel According to Luke. And Luke writes this account and, and Luke shares with us uh, this about Jesus, about everything that made him who he is and, and everything of, of his leadership, of his teachings. And it's fantastic. And this is the way Luke starts off his gospel. And we've been hitting it every single week. We said, he said this, how he starts off his gospel. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by who were from the first eyewitnesses. Luke's saying, I'm writing because I'm getting this from the first eyewitness and servants of the word. And Luke is documenting everything about Jesus, and he hopes to give us this, this, this hope-giving teaching that Jesus gives, this paradigm-shifting leadership that Jesus presents. This, and he's ushering in this, Jesus is ushering in this new kingdom, a kingdom and the rule of of God. And you know what Jesus called it? He called it good news. Because it is good news, right? The rule and reign of God is good news. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. And uh, it's a fascinating chapter. And in this chapter, there's these um, famous parables. Now, if you're not familiar in church, a parable is simply a story that Jesus makes up. Uh, and, you know, in fact, a lot of, you know, teachers would make up these stories to prove a point. And there's, there's a reason why I think I really love it when Jesus does this because he's showing us really the heart of something. Jesus is saying this story because he's trying to make a point. And we really get to dive into what is the point Jesus is making. So here is where, before he starts talking about these stories, let me give you the context. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we see now... He's in a group of people, and there's two groups of people. Well, there's several more, but there's two, mainly two groups of people. It says, first of all, that now the tax collectors and sinners. I just love it how the tax collectors get their own category. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, tax collectors is not like what it is today, but it, back in that day, it was, it was basically you're a traitor to your own people. Um, but these are people that were gathered around to hear Jesus. Now get this. These are people that 
would be considered unclean. They would not be allowed to go to the temple and worship God. They would be almost looked upon as hopelessly separated from God. And yet, they're gathered in wanting to hear Jesus. Do you see the the interesting dichotomy here? That Jesus was righteous, but he was not self-righteous. And there's a huge difference. Jesus is righteous, but he's not self-righteous. And the unrighteous were drawn to to Jesus who was righteous. Are, Are you following with me? That they were drawn to him. There was something about Jesus that was so magnetic that they were like, we want to hear more, and it was good news. But there was another group of people. So you had the sinners and the tax collectors, but you had another group of people. They were the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they muttered. Don't you just hate it when people mutter? It's like, you don't want me to hear what you're saying. Speak up a little louder, right? They muttered. You know what they're muttering? This man, talking about Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with him. I mean, how dare he, right? And they're thinking, I mean, what are they processing in their mind? They're thinking, well, he's welcoming these people. It's like he must be watering down the Torah, right? These people would, would they, these people usually avoid us. So what are they, why are they drawn to him but not to us because we're speaking the truth of God's word? You see, there were these two groups of people. They were the self-righteous the, the religious leaders, they were leaning on the self-righteous, and then you had the unrighteous. You had the self-righteous people that, that, that these leaders and teachers of the law, they, they were sitting there, they were thinking, you know, what's up with those people, you know? And then the, the unrighteous were thinking, you know, God may love me, but he, I'm not sure if he really likes me. So these two groups, listening in to Jesus, and I imagine those two groups are here today. Maybe some of you lean kind of the self-righteous side, where you sit there and go, mm, do you see who I see at church today? Mm-hmm. Saw them at the alcohol aisle at Walmart, filled up their cart a little too much, I think, you know. Small town, people talk, right? I got to be honest with you. I tend to lean that way. I, I tend to lean that way. I'm a recovering self-righteous person. But some of you are here, and you're feeling unrighteous. You're like, I'm here. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to be here. I'm not sure if, if people knew my past, they would want me here. I'm not sure if God even loves me. Or accepts me. But I'm here because someone talked me into being here. And they promised me coffee. And so I'm like, okay. So Jesus, as he's talking to these two groups of people that are, I think, still represented here today. He tells them three parables, three stories to guide them, to explain to them what God is like. Because both groups... I believe we're completely wrong about what God is like and, wh- and who God likes. So he tells this story. And he says it in these three kind of three different, the first parable he says it like this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
And all the shepherds in the audience, they would like, we know what we would do, you know. We would search and find it. Because the shepherds are like, oh, yeah, that one sheep we're going after. The 99 are fine by themselves, but we're going to go after the one that is lost because there's tension around the one that's lost, and we want to go find that lost sheep. We're not, we don't sit there and go, well, we got 99. Sorry, little sheep. You know, should have stayed with the pack. It's the same tension that you and I have. There's no tension around the unlost, is there? If you lost a credit card, you don't look in your wallet and go, well, I've got my visa still. <laughs> my MasterCard's gone. No, because you're thinking, oh, I need to call MasterCard and I need to find that thing. You, you don't, the same what you do with credit cards as you do with your kids, right? If a, I hope. <laughs> if, if you sit there and go, my oldest daughter, and I have two daughters, my oldest daughter, Sydney, is lost. But I don't sit there and go, well, that's, we still got Kennedy, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, oh, sorry. Yeah, she was sitting right there. I didn't realize she was going to be in service. Uh, maybe I need a, I'll change it, honey, next service. Um, there's no tension around those that are found. It's the lost. The shepherd knows this, that we're going to go find. And so Jesus continues on. He says, suppose one lost a sheep. And, and uh, he says, doesn't he leave the 99 to open the country, in the open country, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He says, of course. The shepherds were like, yeah, duh, we would do that. But Jesus interprets that to say, this is the point I'm trying to make. As Jesus is talking to the both groups, self-righteous and the unrighteous, he says this. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He basically says this is how God views people that are unrighteous. He views them as someone that is lost, that's been separated, something of value that's been separated by its owner. And that you're going to go, and God's like, I'm going to go after the one. That's been separated from me. He goes, so let me ask you a question. Is that how you view people that are not as right as you? Do we view people like that? I'll go on. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman. Now, if I could pause right here. Ladies, if you understood the first century and how Jesus spoke to about and and guarded the respect and lifted the respect of the women in the first century, it would be, you would be so amazed at how Jesus just dignified the women in the first century. And so, ladies, I, I just want to say uh, you should give Jesus an amen on that. I mean, and he's using, he's using this. He's get, putting as a story that they would never do this. And he, Jesus says, or suppose a woman, they're like, what? <laughs> You're going to talk about this? He talks about this. He says, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? The answer is yes. Of course she does. And this this happened to me just recently a a couple of uh, days ago. I was was getting ready, and I have this, uh, like, rubber ring here, and I, I, I take off, and I couldn't find my wedding ring. 
And this is only $5, so that's not a big loss. But I was going to a place, and I'm like, I got to go to the, I got to put my old ring on. And, and I had to go into, find my old ring, and I couldn't get it on my, have you all ever had that problem? <laughs> so, and luckily, I, I found it again, because I still would you'd be like, well, why isn't Justin wearing a wedding ring? And they're like, what's wrong with, what's going on with, you know, Audra and Justin? And like, no, it's just the fact that I lost my ring. But if you have ever lost a ring, if you lost a coin, you would, you would not stop until you found it. And that's what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He's beginning to show these parables one after another about this is who God is. The self-righteous and the unrighteous, both in that audience, did not have a good picture of who God is. And and, and Jesus is trying to paint the picture of this is who God is. And now... He shares a story about a prodigal son. Verse 11, Jesus continues. So now he gets personal because the finding you know, a lost coin or a lost sheep, that's one thing. But now he really digs into this personal and he's going to create tension in the crowd that's going to be uncomfortable for them. Jesus continues. He says, there was a man, again, it's a made-up story, who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Already the crowd has attention in this because they're sitting there going, what kind of father would just hand over his, their, divide his property before he died? Because basically what this son is saying to his father, I wish you were dead and because you're not dying fast enough, I want my money now. It's so offensive, and, and everyone listening in would be like, oh, how dare he? Jesus is setting them up to hate this young kid, of being like, you want the father to die, and you want this property now. And so it's shocking to the group, as Jesus says in his story, that the father actually gives him his inheritance. Ah, verse 13. Not long after the younger son, the one that got all that inheritance, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And the crowd would say, see, told you, you know. Young whippersnapper, you know. Spent in months what it took his dad a lifetime, half a lifetime to make. Just in wild living. And it says in verse 14, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So verse 15. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to feed, uh, to his his fields to feed pigs. Now, this is not a big deal for us, but into a Jewish, you know, group, they would sit there, he's like, oh, not only is this kid, like, has brought shame to the family, but now he is, like, feeding a, a pig farmer to a Jewish audience would have been like, oh, this, I mean, or they would think serves him right. He is reaping what he sowed. And he gets the full weight of those consequences. Good. I'm glad. 
He continues. Jesus is continuing as both audiences are listening in. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse continues. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He had a moment as he's sitting there with slop, you know, as Jesus is painting this picture for the crowd. He comes to his senses and says, what have I become? And maybe you said that this morning when you looked in the mirror. What have I become? And maybe that's why you're here. Because you're not happy where your life has gone and, and you're, not, you're not happy with the way the path is going and, and you're like, I need something and I'm not sure what, but I need something so I'll just go to church. Maybe you're here. You're wondering, does God see me? Verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father. And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's rehearsing this statement. He's, have you ever had that you were going to have a tense conversation or not sure how the conversation is going to go, so you rehearse it? Have you all ever rehearsed? Or maybe you won't admit it, but you know you did. You know, you know, you know i got to have this awkward conversation with the boss, but I'm going to talk myself up in the mirror, right? This is how it should go, right? This is what the kid's doing, right? He's, he's setting himself up. He's like, I have to go back. I want to go back to my father, and I just want to be a, a servant. I just want to eat the, the, the leftovers from the servants. So I just want, I, I just, I, I'm rehearsing. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against And then he goes on to say this, verse 20. I, uh, you're right. I'm sorry. Go back, 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he's like, hey, like, I, I don't want anything, Father. I've done you wrong. I, I'm humbling myself. I just want to be one of your servants. And again, made-up story by Jesus as he's talking to both self-righteous and unrighteous. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. I, I love this. Because Jesus is setting, and, he, and, and again, in Jesus' parables, you always want to look at what character represents God in the story and what character represents me in the story. And that's the way the parables are supposed to work. And so the Father represents God. And Jesus is setting up, he says, this is how God looks at you, that when you're a long ways off, he saw. And was filled with blank. See, if you're like, if you are the father in this, what would you put in the blank? For someone that ran off, spoiled, took half the inheritance, what would you do? What would you want to fill that blank up with? If you're the son in the story, what do you hope the father puts in the blank? What we see here. He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. Now, we, I, I love the fact that people applaud people that are runners. But in the ancient world, right, God bless you if you run. But in the ancient world, 
a person of honor would never run. And this is what Jesus is telling the crowd. This father couldn't care about dignitaries, couldn't care about all that stuff. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him because he was so filled with compassion. He is painting a picture of the God that runs. If you feel like you're unrighteous, you feel like you're far from God, the God that I serve is running after you. Let that set in. The God that you've been running away from is running towards you. The God that you've been avoiding and been avoiding conversations about is running and is dead set and he's not after you. He wants to be with you. He's not to pay you back. He wants to win you back. The verse continues. The son said to him, because the son had had his whole speech worked out. The father kind of messed that up because he's like, I got to gather myself. I've got this all worked out. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, so basically the father ignored. He's like, ah, whatever, whatever speech. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And said this, bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. Great news for the son, bad news for the cow, right? No one ever thinks about the cow in the story. thought I'd just give him the heads up. And you know what he says? He's like, we're going to celebrate. Again, this is the third parable. He's like, the God that's so concerned about the lost sheep that's going after the lost sheep because it's been separated is the same God who's trying to find the lost coin and is the same God that says, for my son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And see, he began to celebrate. And could you imagine the people in the crowd that felt unrighteous? that felt like they were hopelessly separated from God, that weren't allowed to go to the temple. They're hearing this story, and do you know what they're doing? They're identifying with the son. They're identifying and be like, wow. And this is what I think Jesus is trying to make the point. It's easy for us to try to put people in categories of good and bad. But God sees people not as good or bad, but lost people and found people. And what if we change the way we view people instead of good or bad, lost to God and found. But meanwhile, the older son, so there's half a crowd that's listening to Jesus identifying with the unrighteous, that are like, I'm unrighteous, I identify with the younger son, that's my story. And maybe you're here today, you're saying, that's my story. But there's another half of the crowd the self-righteous that are identifying with the older son because the older son is in the field. He's the good son. He's working. While the other one is spending, he's working, right? And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And again, this is a made-up story. So who is Jesus trying to make sure that he has this go straight to their heart? It's those teachers of the law. Those are the, the self-righteous, the, the religious elite 
He's, he's trying to reach them through the story. And as he, he says, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And this is so funny. If we can go back, verse 26. This is exactly what the religious leaders did, didn't they? Rarely would they have enough courage to actually talk to Jesus. Half the time they're talking to Peter saying, what's wrong with Jesus? They're never going to confront him. And, and when they do, they make sure they're in big groups, you know. They got each other's back, you know. And Jesus, and, and half the time they're muttering. They don't want to be hurt. And they're doing this time and time again. And yet, so he says, this is what, so the servant, uh, the, the brother talks to one of the servants. And he says, and the servant says to your brother, your brother has come. He replied, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And again, he's talking to the self-righteous. He's talking to the religious elite. The Pharisees that are muttering under their breath, they would constantly only find themselves on the outskirts, angry and wouldn't go in. Every time Jesus would heal someone, well, why is he doing it on a on Saturday, the Sabbath? And and why why are they doing this? And why is he teaching this? And and they're angry and refuse to go in. And Jesus, through the story, is pleading with them as the father pleads with the son. Verse 29. But he answered to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And he's pleading with these guys because these guys are thinking that exact thing. They're thinking, I'm doing so much for God. Verse 31. But son. Oh, sorry, 30. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Verse 32. But, he had, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And the people in the self-righteous category of that group sit there. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if some of them started, their hearts began to melt. I, I don't know if, if, if some began to rethink this, but we know if the majority of them didn't. And yet Jesus is pleading with them. Why are you so bent about judging them because you're more right than they are? Why are you focused so much on them? What about you? And I imagine there's two groups of people in the church today. Those that lean a little bit on the self-righteous, that you've been good for such a long time. And you look at someone that maybe has not quite got it all together, and it's easy sometimes to go, man, did you see the way they talked to their kids? Man, do you see the way they did this? Do you see this? And it's so easy sometimes for those that lean self-righteous. And even some of those that unrighteous. You're here and you're just like, I, I just can't believe I'm in church. I thought the roof would fall in and then catch on fire. It's a metal building. It's going to be fine. 
you know. But what is, if, if I can now talk to kind of some of us that lean self-righteous, can I talk to us? And can I talk to us as, as a church family? Because I think this is the heart of the Father. What if we viewed everybody as lost to God and found? Instead of good or bad, what if we viewed people as, oh, they're just lost to God? What if I, if, if I started viewing people through that prism, through that filter, I think it would change the way I would view them. I think it would change the way of my posture toward them. I think it would, it would change a lot of things. And I think our church needs to view people that way. And, and I think a few things happens when we as a church views people that are, are, are lost to God and found. I think, first of all, it renews our ex- excitement in our faith. Because when you begin to see people that those that are lost to God and those that are found, and when you see and, rem- and see the difference, that you re- are reminded that there was a moment when you were lost to God. And maybe it was a long time ago, and maybe we need to remember those moments where we were far from God. And maybe you even grew up in church, but there was a moment where you wanted to do your own thing, and you rebelled against everything, and yet there was that moment when you came face to face with the Savior of the world, and you changed your life because you said, I want to follow him, and your world's never been the same. But we forget that. And you know why I know we forget that? And I do too. Because we keep it to ourselves. People are excited about their faith. Share it with people, whether they want to hear about it or not. Because it's so personal, it's so important. Because it's like, I'm, I'm not trying to get you to follow our rules. I'm not trying to do this. I just know that Jesus has changed my life, and I want to give you the same opportunity. Don't take my word for it. Find it yourself. Read for yourself. See what he has to offer you. He's changed my heart. He's changed my life. And life is better when I'm following him. I just want you to have the same. But there's a problem when it's, there's too much of a distance to when the moment when we remember when we were lost. But when we start to see people as lost to God and found, it re- we remember those moments. And we remember... Because I'm no better than you. I've just been found. I'm not here to be on a soapbox. I'm not here with a bullhorn to say, you're all going to hell. You think it's hot now? You know. Just wait. There's not enough sunscreen for you where you're going. You know. I've heard it all. I've I've seen all the street preachers, right? Renews our excitement and our faith. You know what also it does? We're patient with people. And can I tell you, we need to be patient with people because I need to remind you, God's patient with you. You know, I'm just looking around here. You know, we're all works in progress. We all needed a patient God. And we're still a work in progress, and we're still working towards that. And when we start to see people as those that are lost to God and found, we're patient because God's working on their heart and has his patient because he's been working on my heart. Can we be a church that's patient with people? Can we be a church that when people come into this seat that they don't have to have everything worked out in their life? 
Can we be a church that we can welcome every single person in this Otero County to come to church? Can we be that church? Or is there categories of people that we say no to? Please tell me now. We can't be that church. We've got to have our doors open to say there are people that are found and there are people that are lost to God. And the God that I serve says, I'm going to leave the 99 to find the one. I'm not satisfied with nine coins. I want ten. And when the lost son is going off on their own, I will welcome back and I am looking for them back. Can we be that church? Can we be that church that is okay with living in the tension of grace and truth? Now, this, this is a huge idea. Because John in his gospel describes Jesus as he was full of grace and truth. This is not a division of one or the other. Can we be a church that's okay to live in the tension of both? Because we have to be. I, I want to follow Jesus, and this is the way he lived it. Jesus never watered down the gospel. And every time someone that was unrighteous came to Jesus, they left differently than him. So Jesus never changed for people. They were changed because they met Jesus. That's a huge difference. And as a community of faith, we can never water down the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should hold the people in the faith accountable to the truth and keep striving for the ideal and see the picture that Jesus paints and the picture that God paints for us to live as a community. We should never water it down. But we should give grace while we work it out. We should embrace the truth but be gracious to those that are outside the faith. Why do we as a church hold people outside the faith to standards that they've never adhered to? We have got to hold each other, and that's what Paul says, we have to hold each other accountable in the faith, striving for what he's called us to, but that there's grace when we fall, There's grace when we don't get it right. There's grace when a preacher doesn't get it right. There's grace, and we can't have one or the other. We need to be a a church that has embraced a full both grace and truth. Can we be that church? Because this is tension. It's easy to be just a grace grace church, and it's all about grace. And it's easy to be a truth church. Where it's like, we'll beat you up, and, we, and if you feel like you're just limping out of service, then you know you've been to a good service. <laughs> it's easy to be one or the other. Can we be a church that embraces both? So let's stand. <laughs> Can I tell you, I think there are many stories of that slide being acted but I think it's important for us, especially as a the pastor who sometimes leans a little bit on the self-righteous and maybe I'm not by myself. For all of us that kind of lean that way, allow God to do a deep work in our hearts and view people as lost to God and are found. Not evil, not wrong, but lost to God. And may we be the church where people that are lost can find Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I just pray, Lord, that you'll just do a work in our hearts. As we're looking forward to awesome events and things where people are going to be coming to church and all that, may they feel your presence and may they feel welcomed as a church opens their arms, as a church that wants to embrace the truth of Jesus and, and, and hold that picture of accountability, but also be a church that's full of grace as we work through this, as we struggle through this together. May we be that church and may we be that shining example, Lord, to a county that needs you so bad. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Give three people a high five and say, I'm glad that's done. We'll see you next week.